Well, good morning, CVC guests. We're so glad you're here online. Uh, we're glad you're here with us live right now. It's great to be together again. As a dad, there kind of tends to be a certain rite of passage that you take your kids through at some point in time. And as a father, I was looking forward to this moment. It's called fishing, right? And for some dads who are good fishermen, you're like, got this. Some dads are not great fishermen. They're kind of terrified of it. But um, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I like to fish. Truth be told, I don't want to waste my time. If I'm going to go fishing, I need to catch something. So if you ever invite me to fish, I'm just going to say, are we going to catch something? Because throwing a line in the water over and over and over again sounds like aerobic casting. I can do that somewhere else. And so um, I just want to make sure I catch fish. So if I want to take my kids to go fishing, they're going to catch fish. We're going to make sure that it's not this just empty exercise. So the very first time I took our kids fishing, uh, Faith wasn't born yet, uh, Cruz and Isabel were little, uh, I cheated. I went to this huge rainbow trout farm that was up in the mountains from our house. So it was this giant pool loaded with all these rainbow trout. You just put cheese on the hook, throw it in, a few seconds later, like you could just be like... <whistles> And they'll just like pop out of the water. Like it was easy peasy. So what happened? My kids caught fish, all right? They were, look at the smiles. Like, yeah. And so uh, we were so happy. And I remember when we uh, showed up, I asked the, the, the owner of the fish farm, I said, uh, is this one of those things where we get to keep the fish we catch or is it catch and release where we, we got to put them back in? He goes, your choice. He goes, you can take some home if you want to take some home. Or you can just release them if you want to, because they'll just make more fish for us. Let me tell you something. When you invite Christ into your life, when Jesus catches you, what does he do? He releases you back into the world to what? Catch more fish, to make more fish. And that's what we want to focus on today as we uh, jump into the Bible. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 as we continue through the series looking at Christ um, and Jesus, who's both God and man. And as you're turning there, for those of you who are guests today or you haven't really been around the last few weeks, just a quick snapshot of where we've been in this series. We have Jesus, God in the flesh, who's launched his public ministry. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. He's been tempted by the devil. He's been rejected by the people of his hometown, Nazareth. And now he's been on this teaching tour around the region of Galilee. He's kind of hanging out on the northern shores of Galilee right now, teaching and preaching and healing. Last time we were together two weeks ago uh, in this uh, series, uh, Jesus had just done some healings. He healed uh, uh, the mother-in-law of Simon, who we're going to look at today. He did a bunch of other healings, cast out demons, all these things. And we're going to pick it up today as he continues doing his ministry around the shore of Galilee. And the question that I have for you today is this. What happens when Jesus gets into your boat? And that phrase is going to be a little bit of a metaphor for your life. What happens when Jesus gets into your life? What happens when Jesus gets into your boat? Well, join me in Luke chapter 5, and we're just going to march through the first 11 verses, kind of talk a little, teach a little, talk a little, teach a little. And here's what we see in Luke 5, verses 1 through 2. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. 
But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So Jesus is continuing his teaching tour. And wherever Jesus went, people flocked to him. Massive crowds. Now some were just curious onlookers. They just heard about this guy. They have no personal interest in him. They're just kind of like, who is this guy? What's he doing? They're just curious. They're on the, they're on the fringes, right? Then there's another group that's probably just, uh, they're people that have an appetite for the sensational and supernatural. And Jesus is doing miracles. Uh, Jesus is saying crazy things. He's teaching with authority. And so these people are just kind of along for the ride. They, they really don't have any interest in following Jesus, uh, applying his teachings necessarily, getting to know him. They're just wanting to see some cool stuff happen. But in the crowd, you have these other uh, people that they're hungry spiritually. And like you, they've identified there's something different about Jesus. He's not an ordinary guy. There's something supernatural. There's something godly. There's something divine about the way he teaches, the way he loves people. And so they're, they're coming because they're hungry. And that's what we see here. These people are hungry for the word of God. And so in this moment of time, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. Uh, just so you know, the Sea of Galilee is typically known by three names. Sometimes the Sea of Galilee sometimes the Sea of Tiberias, because there's another city on the western shore called Tiberias, and so obviously it's touching the water. And then also what we just saw here a minute ago, uh, Lake Gennesaret. Gennesaret was just a very fertile region in the northwest zone of Galilee, so they call it Lake Gennesaret as well. And so as they're following Jesus, they come upon these two boats on the shore of Galilee where the owners, local fishermen, were cleaning their nets from the previous night's attempt at netting some fish. Jesus then gets into one of the boats belonging to one of the fishermen, a man named Simon, otherwise known as who? Peter. This is Simon Peter. So Jesus just got into his boat. What happens when Jesus gets into your boat? Well, the first thing we see here is when Jesus gets into your boat, he will teach you God's word. These people were hungry. They needed to be filled, and he filled them. Look at verse 3. It says, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. In verse 1, it says that the people were pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Jesus was not telling spiritual um, Bible stories. He wasn't telling bedtime stories. He wasn't just reading scriptures. Uh, using John 1, 1 language, we have Jesus as the word of God teaching the word of God. And so when people heard Jesus teach, they were literally hearing the words of God from God. That's why it was just stunning to them. That's why it just stood out to them. And so uh, their souls were being fed as Jesus opened up and taught them. And when Jesus gets into your boat, when he gets into your life, he's going to teach you God's word. Jesus isn't about filling you up with tradition. He's not about filling you up with personal opinion or, or you know, other extra biblical writings. It's his word that he wants you to anchor your heart to. And so when Jesus gets in your boat, he's going to take you to the Bible. He's going to draw you into God's word so that God's word can sift you and expose areas that you have to surrender to the Lord, that you need to uh, uh, give to the Lord. And so God's word is going to draw you and it's going to, it's going to enrich your mind. And it's, and it's going to fulfill your heart when you're in God's word. 
And it's going to um, cultivate and, and, and bless your soul when you're in God's word. That's why we spiritually starve. That's why we get cranky. And why we get fleshly when we're not regularly in God's word. Because when Jesus is in your boat, he's going to try to teach you God's word. So we have to be attentive students as God brings his word to be in our life. And so if you know Christ and Christ is in your boat, don't let your love for God's word and your engagement in God's word grow cold and grow dead. Fight for daily time in God's word. Fight to be a person who opens up scriptures, brings your Bibles to church, gets into your Bible apps, takes notes and extracts and let God's word interact with you. And if you don't know Christ yet, like, even today, open your ears and open your heart and open your mind to what the Lord is trying to speak to you as he's trying to get into your boat. And so first we see that when Jesus gets into your boat, he's going to teach you God's word. The second we, thing we see when Jesus gets into your boat is that he's going to test your obedience. He's going to test your obedience and really your trust as well. Look at verses four through five. When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. This is where it gets interesting. Imagine with me, you're in Peter's shoes. What if you worked the night shift all night long? Just worked, you know, like crazy. And then you found out that you're not going to get paid for all those hours. And the next morning, you're tired, you're discouraged, and someone says, hey, let's go back to work. What's your response going to be? No way, right? And so here we have Peter, and he was out the night before. I, I just want you to play this through your mind. What were they doing for hours and hours and hours in the evening while the fish were closer to the surface? He knew his craft. He knew that's when that was a good time to fish. What did they do? They went out. And then they cast the nets, pulled them in, nothing. Cast the nets, pulled them in, nothing. Cast the nets, pulled them in, nothing. Drag the nets for a little bit. Pull them up. Guess what? Any, any, nothing. So now they're on the shore. They're hanging out. And all of a sudden this crowd descends on them, kind of, you know, barges into their, you know, little cleaning of the nets. And Jesus gets into his boat. We know this is not the first encounter that, you know, Jesus and, and Peter had when you, when you look at some of the other Gospels. And, and, and at first Jesus says, just, just push off the shore. Peter's like, oh, that's, that's, that's cake. No problem. So Peter and a couple other guys apparently climb into the boat. They get front row seats to the teaching, which is kind of cool, right? And Jesus is teaching. And I love what Jesus does here because I think he's doing two things. One, he's creating some buff, a buffer between him and the people. It's like, get out of my space, Right? These people are just breathing on, they're like, in, no, no, you know, sensitivity to personal space, okay? So Jesus is backing off, giving some margin. Also, when you look at the, the, the geography of the area, next to the Sea of Galilee, it starts to ascend into the mountains, and now he's also sitting on a boat where there's water that can carry the sound waves better. He just formed a little bit of a natural amphitheater so the people can hear him a little better. And so you have Jesus now teaching, and as he's teaching, it's all good until all of a sudden Jesus looks at Peter and says, Let's go out to the deep and go fishing again. You know what was going through the mind of Peter, right? And if you've ever studied Peter and know that he's kind of a prideful, bold, impulsive guy, you can just see Peter just rolling his eyes, slumping his shoulders, going, really? Really? Okay? And you can almost hear him thinking this, these types of thoughts. All right, Jesus, you're a carpenter. You're a spiritual teacher. I'm a fisherman. 
I know more about fishing than you do. This is a terrible idea. The fish aren't going to be out during the daytime. They're going to be down low in the water. This is an absolute miserable exercise in futility. It's going to be fruitless. (sighs) But because you said so, because you said so, I'm going to do it. And so we see in this moment that Peter complies even though the instructions of Jesus make no sense to him and it's inconvenient. I need you to know something. When Jesus tests your trust, when Jesus tests your obedience, it's going to be biblical. It's going to line up with God's word, but it will not always make sense to you and it's usually not going to be convenient. Jesus is not saying, hey, why don't you shoot me your calendar in a prayer Let me know where you have some gaps, and I'll do some cool stuff there, right? He likes to just get into your boat and go, let's go to the deep water. But but I have this plan. But but I've got this. And some of you OCD type A types, you're like, oh, Jesus, really? Come on. Like, it's all all planned out for a week. You're, You're disrupting my flow, Lord, okay? It doesn't always make sense, and it's not always convenient. But we have to surrender trust in the moment. This is kind of a fisherman's version of Jesus take the wheel in this moment, Right? All right, Lord, you're in my boat. Take command of the vessel. And Jesus surrenders command. Here's another thing I think that's very fascinating about this moment. You ever think, like, why did Jesus feel so comfortable just getting into the boat? He he probably knew Peter and interacted. I don't think it was totally a foreign custom. I don't think Peter was like, who's the spiritual pirate that just got aboard my vessel, you know? But here's one of the reasons I think Jesus was so comfortable getting into the boat. It wasn't Peter's boat in the first place. What's it made of? Wood. Where'd that come from? Trees. Who made those? Carpenter. Oh, well, yeah, carpenter. Where'd he get the wood? Smart guy. <laughs> I know, Cito, we can do that. <laughs> God made the trees. What about the gummy substance that holds the wood together? God made all the things they use for the ingredients. Where are they going to put the boat? On the water. Who made the water? Oh, they have a sail. Why? Because they want to catch the wind. Who makes the wind? They're going to go out to catch fish. Who made the fish? They're hoping to catch the fish and eat the fish. Who gave them taste buds to taste the fish? Stomachs to digest the fish. It all belongs to God anyways. It was never Peter's boat. No wonder Jesus felt totally comfortable getting in, right? See, when Jesus gets into your boat, guess what? It's never your boat in the first place. Your life's not yours. It's the Lord's. Everything you have, the homes you have, the degrees you have, everything that you think is yours is not yours. And some of you might be going, whoa, 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 look, I went to school, I've worked hard. Granted, you did that. Who gave you the brains? They're doing all the analyzing and the thinking. Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the ability to eat the food, to stay up and study? Who gives you the ability to work? Who gives you the breath you breathe to do what you do? Why does Jesus feel comfortable getting into your life? It was never your life in the first place. It's all God's. And he's going to test your obedience when he asks you to do things that don't make sense. We need to obey the Lord. A little fast forward in Luke 6, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? The Lord's going to call us to obey. And you look at this moment with Peter, it's like he has spent all night fishing. He's a great fisherman, no doubt. He comes back empty-handed. Peter gave it his best, and he netted nothing. Have you ever thought that maybe the reason God lets you work so hard sometimes is to get nothing so that you'll let him show up, and if you obey him, he'll do something with your nothing. 
That's a lot of us right now. Just need to let, because here's the thing, have you ever thought about this? Your best isn't always best. Peter gave it his best, but once he obeyed, then he saw what was best. Your best, my best, is not always the best. The Lord's will is best. I want to know if anybody in here believes if the Lord's will is better for you than your own. Does anybody actually believe that? That God's will is better for you than your own. Our best doesn't always net the best, but God does. And so right now, where is there an area in your life that you feel the Lord testing your obedience, testing your obedience to his call in your life, to let go of something or to add something to your life to be more faithful to him? Are you willing to obey? Because when Jesus gets into your boat, He's going to test your obedience. He's also going to catch your attention. Look at verses six through seven. And when they had done this, which means they went out to the deep water, I'm sure rolling their eyes, smiling the whole way, right? And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they begin to sink. What an amazing image that all this fish are in the boat and the boat starting to sink at this point. This is one of the two miraculous catches that Jesus does with these fishermen. One now and one three years down the road after Jesus dies, resurrects, and is appearing to people over a 40-day period. He does another one for them in that moment. And this miracle was very personal for Peter. Jesus let Simon Peter experience an event that caught his attention. It was uh, an event that spoke his language, that was specific to his context. Jesus used this event to reach in, grab Peter's attention, and grab Peter's heart. And so as Jesus took him out to this place where either Jesus took him to where the fish were or brought the fish to them, this is a moment that Peter had his mind blown because there was abundance beyond imagination. Jesus did something in the life of Peter that was beyond his ability to do and it caught his attention. Has Jesus caught your attention? And maybe he has done it in a dramatic way. Have you ever walked away from an accident that you should not have walked away from? Have you ever had a healing in your life, a sickness or injury that God actually brought healing into your life? Or maybe there's just something that happened that has no other explanation, but you know it's the Lord getting your attention. And maybe it hasn't been dramatic. Maybe it's been that constant faithfulness of the Lord to provide for you. And maybe all your material needs, your homes, your food, your resources, your relationships, God's just been faithful with all those things, and you realize that's all from the Lord. It's got my attention. Or maybe it was the immaterial things that God's done for you. Where did that supernatural peace come from? Even though everything else was falling around, uh, falling apart around you, you've got peace, you've got comfort, you've got joy. Maybe God's shown up and got your attention by giving you a peace, a comfort, a joy, a hope beyond your ability. What is that? That is Jesus getting your attention. And when Jesus gets into your boat, he's going to get your attention. Now, some of you might be thinking, but I've never had anything like this, this miraculous catch of fish. Some of you are going, man, I would love, I would love for Jesus to give me a big net full of money. And that, then he's got my attention. I'm in, all right? I will follow you all the days of my life. Some of you are putting the net out in the water. You're hoping to, you're hoping to catch a spouse. If I can just get a man or a woman, or maybe, God, maybe give me a bunch to pick from. You know, just let me just bring it in. I go like, oh, this is a great catch. Let's see, I'll take that one. 
Well, I don't know what it is, but maybe you're throwing that out going, I'm looking for a miracle. I've never felt like I've had a miracle. Let's not forget the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did. Because if Jesus is going to do something to get our attention that's beyond our ability, let's get back down to our sin nature. We all have sin in our life. We choose wrong every day by default. And here's the thing. You can't pray that away. You can't sacrament that away. You can't good work that away. We have no ability to get rid of our sin. None. And then when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the grave, that big sharpie marker of sin that covers our heart, if we let Christ come in, he purifies that. We don't have the ability to do that. The greatest miracle that you've ever experienced is forgiveness. It's a miracle of God that we can have forgiveness of sin. If that doesn't get your attention, I mean, you, you just aren't even on the radar of what's going on in, God, in God's life around you. And so we should be overwhelmed by this abundant and merciful provision of God. It's beyond our imagination. And maybe you're sitting here today or maybe you're watching online and, and you don't have a relationship with Christ. He's not in your boat. And he knows you and he loves you. He's calling you into relationship. To, to, to repair the broken relationship you have with God, to forgive you of the sins that you carry so that you can walk free and forgiven in him. It's the greatest miracle he has to offer. So let him in your boat because when Jesus gets in your boat, he's going to teach you God's word. He's definitely going to test your obedience and he's going to catch your attention, but he's also going to humble your heart. This miraculous catch just happens. What's the response especially in Peter, because he's kind of the, the point guy here. In verse 8, it says, But when Simon Peter saw it, this catch, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a, what? Sinful man, O Lord. Peter has never seen anything like this in his life. He's seen more fish in one catch than ever. And all of a sudden, you can just see the dots starting to connect. Like, we don't know all the interactions he had, but we know he had some. He probably saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law of a fever, you know, days or weeks before. He, he saw some of the healings and heard about some of the healings that Jesus did in his hometown of Capernaum. Uh, maybe he's thinking about his brother Andrew that days, weeks, or you know, before might have said, we found the Messiah, the one that we're waiting for, and pointed to Christ. Whatever it was, in this moment, Everything clicked, and you can just see Peter getting this look on his face, realizing that this man in his boat is not an ordinary man. He's so much more. There's something divine. There's something holy about this man. And so in that moment, feeling the weight of the authority and divinity of Christ, and simultaneously feeling the weight of his sin and his shame, he hits his knees, a Jewish man, who knows not to worship anybody but the one true God, hits his knees and starts to worship Christ. And he says, get away from me. I'm sinful. I'm dirty. He's feeling the shame. This is a powerful moment where Peter is having his prideful heart being humbled. You even see it in the language shift that Peter uses. See, earlier when Jesus says, let's go out to the deep, and Peter politely complies. He calls Jesus master. 
The original word in the Greek there is the word epistates, which means one with authority. So he's identifying that Jesus has authority and command as a teacher and all these things. But right here, he uses a different word. He uses the word kyrios, which is Lord. It means supreme authority. It's a title used for God. Peter just went from yes, sir, to Lord. His heart's been humbled. When you see Jesus in your boat and you start to look at what he's doing in your life, it humbles our hearts. And we start to see Jesus more clearly for who he is. And when we see Jesus for who he is, it then allows us to see ourselves for who we are. You know, another pastor named Chuck Smith said it this way. I love this. He said, you never truly see yourself until you see yourself in the light of Jesus and who he truly is. So we are such prideful creatures. We, we grade ourselves on a curve based on other people's behaviors and other people's character. But God doesn't grade on the curve. God's standard for the grading is his character. And in light of God's character, we all fall short. Now we don't have something to be so proud of. Like for me, it's kind of like this. Uh, When we travel sometimes, we'll find ourselves in a hotel or someplace we're staying where there's one of those vanity mirrors that has the light on it, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so as a dude that doesn't normally use these, it's kind of a a creepy experience. Because all of a sudden you're like, oh, a mirror. And you start to play with it and see how it works. Like, oh, this is cool. And then you flip it over and you turn the light on. It's like, ah, what just happened, right? Why? Because all of a sudden everything is magnified. And you see, like, all you ladies are like, tell me about it, brother. Okay, so now you see every pore. You see hair sticking out of things. Like, I didn't know there was, like, five hair sticking out the tip of my nose, you know? And then you see every blemish or blackhead or whatever. Like, it's a disgusting experience when you're staring at this unforgiving, magnifying mirror with light. That's what happens when we stare at Christ. The light of Christ shines on us and then magnifies all our blemishes. All our sinfulness is exposed. See, that's why some of you don't want Christ. It just feels safer to just leave me alone, not let him change you and transform you. But when you stare at Christ, you see the pride and the sin and the failures, and you fall down in a moment of humility and start to worship Christ. If you have not reached the place where you can humbly and authentically say that you are nothing without Christ, then it's likely you don't know Christ. Because when he gets into your boat, he will humble your heart. You'll have an encounter with them where you see your sinfulness and shame, and you just turn to him out of sheer humility to see what he has to say. Well, what does he have to say? Well, we'll see this next. When Jesus gets into your boat, He will then call you to follow him. You know what's so cool in this moment? Here here you have Peter on his knees, probably up to his waist or maybe up to his chest, and fish. Just fish in the boat. The boat's so full of fish, it's sinking. So he's in this fish, right? And he's down at the knees of Jesus. You know what's so cool in this moment? Jesus doesn't go, that's right, Peter. Bad Peter. Bad, bad Peter. What does he say? Look what happens in verse 9. For he, Peter, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. 
So also were James and John, sons of Debedee, who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, say it with me, do not be afraid. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't rebuke Peter. He didn't condemn Peter. He didn't shame Peter. But he called Peter. Look what he says next. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left, what's the word? Everything. They left everything and followed him. It would be so easy in this moment for these fishermen to think that this little excursion was about catching fish. It wasn't about catching fish. The miraculous catch was the bait. The fishermen were the target. Now they're on the line and Jesus is reeling them in. And he's calling them. And here you have Peter surrounded by his buddies bowing down to Jesus. And he's calling them saying, you are going to become a fisher of men. You're going to go catch men. And I love the contrast here that Jesus is giving Peter and these men. It's the same contrast he's giving us. He's calling these men who are used to catching fish that would die and be consumed. And now he's calling them to catch people to give them life. Not death, but life. New life in Christ. And it's, this is where Jesus is the master catch and release fishermen. He's catching the disciples so that they would grow and then be released to go make more disciples. And the people that they would catch would then be growing and then released to go catch more disciples. And over and over and over again. And when Jesus catches you, he releases you to go make more disciples. And the things that we're chasing, the things that we're fishing for, they're going to die. They're going to be consumed. But God wants us to go and be ambassadors for life. New life in Christ. Your neighbors need hope and life. The people in your workplaces need hope and life. The people that you're sitting on the soccer fields next to, or in the cafes next to, or that you're in the checking line at the grocery store, need life. And guess what? God has maneuvered you to be right there to build that relationship. And if God opens the door, to fish for that person. Jesus calls us. And what I love about this is that Jesus was not taking away their ability to fish. He was transforming it. He didn't say, you'll never fish again. He says, no, we're going to redefine what you're fishing for. To some of you that are afraid to give your life to Christ, you think he's just going to like come in and snatch away everything that you love. He'll, he'll refine and purify the things that are damaging and displeasing to him, absolutely. But the gifts and the talents and the abilities that he's given you, he wants to come in and transform them to be used for his glory. All of you are so phenomenally gifted, so uniquely made by God, and he wants to transform what he's installed in you for his purposes and his kingdom. He's calling you to follow him so that you can catch others who will be released to catch others. But it's not going to be without sacrifice. It says they left everything and followed him. Can you imagine if these guys said, sounds good, but hey, wait a minute. Um, I made this net, you know, a few years ago. I'm really fond of it. It's kind of like my best net, but I'm going to bring this along. And uh, you know what, this boat here, actually, I made this boat with my dad. There's a lot of sentimental attachments, so we're just going to carry the boat. Fast forward, these guys are walking through the streets of Jerusalem carrying a boat. You know, following Jesus with our boat and our nets and our sails. They couldn't. In order to go, they had to let go. Think about what they let go. They let go of their nets, their little fishing cages, their boats, 
And they left behind the most phenomenal catch of fish they've ever experienced in their life. Hundreds of fish. Sidebar, I wonder who ate those fish. Who was on the shore earlier? Large crowd of people. Hmm, I wonder. Anyways, sorry, this is my mind. It just goes places, you know. Jesus called them. They left everything behind. The reason some of you are not being effective as everyday missionaries where you live and where you work and where you play is because you're not letting go of some certain things in your life. The reason some of you are being disobedient to a specific call that God's put in your life to be a missionary in another country, in another region, another city, or maybe a, a church plant or a pastor, or to just invest in ministry and be a life group leader or step in and serve somewhere, it's because you're not willing to let go. In order to go, you're going to have to let go of something. Here, it says everything. Just surrender. I want, I want you guys to just do something with me. I know this is kind of crazy. This is special for you. I didn't do this with any other service. So this, would you just hold your hands out and do this for a second? Just right in front of you. Just do this. Some of you are like, I can't. I know, just try. Just, 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 in fact, close your fist, close your fist, and then just go like this. This is what Jesus is asking us to do. Whatever you're holding on to, he's saying, you've got to give it up. You've got to be willing to give it up. You've got to be willing to give it up. That's what happens to be obedient to this call. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to be willing to sacrifice. And it's so, much, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. We know that there were hundreds of fish in these boats, right? Two boats sinking, so full, hundreds of fish. Jesus said he's going to become a fisher of men. He's going to catch fish. Let's fast forward and look at a moment where we see this become a reality. One of the many times that this is a reality for Peter and the disciples. After Jesus dies on the cross, after the resurrection from the grave, the Holy Spirit comes, fills Peter, fills the other disciples. They go back into the town of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. They go to the temple area, and they're preaching. And people are responding. There's crowds of thousands here. And they're hearing this preaching. And they responded. They said, what do we have to do? And Peter says, you've got to be saved. This is found in Acts chapter 2. You've got to be saved. You've got to come to Christ. And then it says in Acts 2.41, it says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added to their the day about how many souls? 3,000. Let me ask you, which do you think meant more to Peter? Hundreds of fish or thousands of souls? See what Jesus did? And that's what God wants to do with you. We're so happy with the hundreds of fish when he wants us to reach souls. And so we have to be willing to let go and sacrifice so that we can be used by the Lord. I love this imagery that the disciples for years of their lives threw this net onto the waters of the Sea of Galilee that caused ripples to pull up fish that would be killed and consumed. And now they're throwing the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ onto the sea of people and they're bringing people in and releasing them with new life in Christ. That's what God's called us to do, brothers and sisters, to live this kind of fruitful life. That's what happens when Jesus is in your boat. And when Jesus gets in your boat, in your life, he's going to teach you God's word. He, he's going to test your obedience. Some of you are going, I'm feeling that one right now. For some of you, he's going to catch your attention. You've seen it. You've seen the fingerprints of Jesus trying to get you and get your attention. He's going to humble your heart. And then he's going to call you to his mission. He's going to call you to follow him. So what do we do with this moment? 
We need to respond in prayer and obedience. So what I want us to do is I want us to pray in a minute. And as we prepare our hearts to do that, just, just find yourself in one of these three categories possibly. Some of you here realize that there's a general calling. If you are a Christian, there's a general calling for us all to make disciples, to be disciple-making disciples, catch and release, catch and release, catch and release, make more fish, make more disciples. That means we're everyday missionaries where we live and work and play. We've used this term a lot around here, that we're missionaries cleverly disguised. I'm starting to get increasingly uncomfortable with the word cleverly. It feels a little bait and switch. We're missionaries. We're missionaries in the form of whatever we are, wherever we are. So you are a missionary as a Christian in the form of a neighbor, in the form of a coworker, in the form of a friend. You're a missionary wherever we live, work and play. But some of you have not been following Jesus fully and you know it. You've been holding back. In a minute, I just want to pray with you that God would increase your faithfulness. I'm going to call you to do something that can kind of cement that in your heart today, hopefully. Some of you have a specific calling, not just a general calling, but a specific calling. You know God's been calling you into deeper ministry involvement. It's time you leave the boats behind. God's calling me to plant a church. God's calling me to be a missionary. God's calling me to be a life group leader. God's calling me to step into this ministry and serve. What's that look like? And some of you, Christ is not in your boat at all. And you need to invite Christ in. He's not going to just barge in and take over your life. He's asking if he can come aboard. And he loves you enough to wait for when you're ready. Some of you, today's the day. Today's the day that you just need to invite Christ into your life. And so with those things swirling around us, would you just pray with me right now, Lord? Thank you for your word. It pierces our hearts. It calls us to faithfulness calls us to fruitfulness, Lord. You are worthy to leave everything behind. Our lives are yours. They're not ours. You gave us everything. You are worthy enough that we can leave everything behind and trust you. So Father, forgive us when we don't trust. Forgive us when we don't obey. Forgive us when we're not fruitful, when we don't follow you the way you've called. Forgive us when we're prideful and not humble. Forgive us when we're terrible students of your word. Stir afresh in us hunger and obedience for you. Maybe today you realize that you've not been faithful like God's called you to be a missionary every day where you live and work and play. If that's you, this is just between you and the Lord. We're not recording this. We're not going to tabulate this, but I'm just going to ask you to stand. Let it be authentic, though. Just stand if you're going, I know I need to be more faithful here. I know I need to be more fruitful here as a missionary wherever I live, wherever I work, wherever I play. If that's you, just stand. This is just you in a moment of prayer saying, God, I know I have more to give. Also, if you feel like God has given you a specific call to do more, serving in ministry, pursue vocational ministry, something along those lines, I invite you to stand. This is your way of saying, I don't know what it looks like, I don't know what the next step is, but I know God's calling me to more and I just haven't been responding. Would you stand? And if there's anybody here 
I know if you're watching online, you can do this too if you want, but if there's anyone here that Jesus is not in your boat, you don't know Christ, would you stand right now if you're ready to believe in Christ? You're ready to let Jesus into your life. And if that's you, I encourage you to simply pray and say to the Lord something like this, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I need you. I confess my sin and turn to you now. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the grave. I receive your forgiveness and I commit myself to following you now the rest of the days of my life. Lord, you know what's going on in the hearts of every person sitting and standing. You know if we mean it, if we don't mean it. Lord, we can't do any of this apart from your Holy Spirit empowering us. So, Spirit, fill us, use us, find us faithful, we ask. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. I invite all of you to stand as we can prepare to worship. If you stood today for the second or third option, if today is the day that you gave your life to Christ, there's a response card in your program. We invite you to take that out over this next song. Reach around, find a pin around you. Mark down, I'm receiving Christ as my Savior. Put an email or a phone number. We'll get in touch with you and tell you how to grow in your relationship with Jesus and how to celebrate that. And if you're online, you can email us at connect at cvconline.org. If you put down, you feel God's calling you into deeper ministry involvement, we'd love to help you know what that looks like. And so uh, there's on your response card a section that says other. Can you just put down there, need to serve, want to serve, God's calling me, something like that. Email, phone number. One of us will get in touch with you and say, tell us what God's putting on your heart and we can help you find a way to step in and serve or pursue that next step. But all of us, all of us need to surrender. And I want to invite all of you into one more thing. Easter Sunday is eight weeks away. I want you to get the mental picture that with all those extra guests and people that don't know the Lord, we're going to cast a big net that day of the gospel. And we're hoping for a great catch that day. Would you be willing to pray with us for the next eight weeks for that as often as you can? In fact, I invite you. Some of us are fasting for that. We're taking at least one day of the week and saying, no food, just drinking water. And every time I feel hungry, I'm just going to pray that God brings people into the net of the gospel on Easter. A lot of us are going to be doing that on Thursdays. So if you choose Thursday, no, you're not alone. If you choose another day of the week, you're not alone. But invite those of you who feel that call to, to, to be part of that. And let's just see what God does on Easter Sunday. Amen? Amen. Let's sing about surrendering to the Lord because that's what he's called us to.